I'm sure most people could agree that there's one thing that everyone finds terrifying. Captivity. Being held against your will with no sure way of getting out. What happens when your captivity is not over just a span of days or even just a year, but a whole decade? For three young girls and women, they spent a decade being raped, beaten, and tortured. This is part three of the Cleveland Three. Hi everybody, my name is Noah and you are watching the Eerie Podcast or listening. So yeah, this is finally the end of the Cleveland 3. This is part 3, so if you haven't listened to the other ones, and those are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much everywhere. <laughs> so make sure to go check those out so that you can, you know, be able to follow along here. If you aren't already subscribed, make sure to hit that subscribe button so that you can get notifications tap that bell or if you're on a podcast platform make sure to hit that follow button so that you can get notifications that there's new episodes we'll have an episode out every week and the next one is going to be pretty cool i'm doing well i have been working out like a crazy person i am starting to feel really great about my body like tmi but i've been posting some thirst traps on tiktok i'm feeling really great about my body so I like making video content in general on TikTok. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to engage the community. It's fun to digitally meet new people. Like TikTok is the place for pretty much everybody. Like you can do all the weird stuff you want and everyone seems to be on board with it. Creepy TikTok, by the way, is insane. You should check it out. There's a lot of weird TikTok videos, especially what is it called? Randonautica videos. Those are creepy as heck check them out yeah we're not going to go into too much personal stuff but make sure if you want your name shouted out on this podcast there's a link in the description of the video and on the podcast show notes make sure to click on that patreon link so that you can become a patron there's a bunch of different tiers and whatever you can afford to if you decided to do like a custom amount and did one dollar i would still shout you out i it that to me it doesn't really matter how much at the seven dollar tier you do get like a free sticker you get a shout out and you also get to play a part in how this podcast is formed by voting for topics for upcoming episodes things like that so if you want to play a bigger part in this podcast and have your name shouted out on here make sure to jump on that i am going to be going over a topic next week i'll announce that at the end of the episode now but it is this topic was recommended by one of our listeners, so really appreciate it. And I will shout him out on that episode too, but super cool. Really good idea. Oh, can't stop punching over <laughs> or my back's going to hurt. <laughs> All right. So when we last left, we talked about the final victim being kidnapped. So we're going to go a little bit more in detail. The final victim's name was 14-year-old Gina De Jesus. She was kidnapped very much like Amanda and Michelle, doing normal things, normal day. So Gina's family was a pretty normal, loving family. The only thing that, not out of the ordinary, but her family liked to have parties. 
like to enjoy themselves, but they're otherwise like a really happy family. And Gina in her book says that they used to hug all the time. That was a very common thing. And she especially connected with her father, who is quiet like she is. She talked about in her book how her dad liked to go outside and look at the stars like she did. And they would just do that together. So around this time, Gina found out that she was doing a lot better in school. Gina was in special education classes. And previously, she had ridden a van to school that would pick her up. But she stopped doing that because kids started making fun of her because it was a van and they assumed that she was in special education courses, which isn't cool. Some of the greatest minds in the world have been in special education classes. Um, do I look hunchy right now? <laughs> I'm so paranoid about that. But yeah, so she found out she was doing really great in school. So really awesome. On this day, her dad brought her to school like normal. Gina was hoping when she got to graduation that she could go to Florida State University where it was warmer because she knew that her family wanted her to get a college education. There wasn't much more information about Gina prior to this, but she had a pretty loving family. They loved her. The household was warm. It was like both of the other girls. The family was a little bit poorer. Maybe not as poor as the other two families, but she lived in a house that was full of people. Like there were seven people in their house. So it was pretty packed. And her dad was always talking about putting on an addition to the house so that they had more room. Yeah, and on this day, Gina left school at 2.30 p.m. And it was pretty much like a normal day. And so just a week prior to this, Gina had actually lost her brand new pair of glasses. And she had glasses because she had a weaker left eye. So she obviously couldn't see as well as she should, which sucks. Right before Gina left school, she remembers being really annoyed because she lost her lip gloss. Her gym teacher apparently made her take it out and give it to him because she brought it in the gym and you're not supposed to bring that stuff into the gym. As Gina left the school, she was laughing with friends, talking to them. She runs into her friend Arlene Castro, who is in the same grade as her. And she loved Arlene, like they were really good friends. Arlene asked her to go skating and then they talk about doing a sleepover. So Arlene calls her mom on a payphone, like right down the street and her mom says no, and yeah, it's just, it's not happening. So Gina gives Arlene a quick hug and says, okay, that's all right, Lord, I'm going to go home. And she starts walking home. It was still drizzly outside, and it's about a 40-minute walk. So Gina walks about a block at this point and sees a Jeep Grand Cherokee pull up to her. The Jeep Grand Cherokee rolls down its window, and she says she remembers she can't quite hear him, but he's talking to her. But then she realizes that the person who pulled up to her is Arlene's dad, Ariel Castro. And we all know what's about to happen. I know. Especially with this one. It's tough. She's such a little girl. Like, it's fucked up. It was like, have you seen Arlene? And Gina's like, yeah, she's just that way. Ariel then asks her to help him find her. And Gina's like, yeah, of course. So Gina gets in the car and Ariel keeps driving the same direction he was pointed, which was away from the school. And that's not the way Gina said that Arlene was. So Gina says, aren't you supposed to turn around? And Ariel's like, oh, I just need to go to my house to grab some money. 
So Gina thought this was a little weird, but she's just like, okay, I'll just chill out. It's fine. I know this guy. It's starting to get a little repetitive, isn't it? Like, this is her friend's dad, so she thought she could trust him. So on the way to his house, Ariel talks about his kids and all that. And this kind of conversation obviously makes Gina a little bit more comfortable because he's talking about family and things like that. So when they get to his house, she remembers noting that his front yard was very clean, which is weird. But his backyard was horribly messy, like plastic garbage bags everywhere, trash everywhere. Just disgusting. And they're on Seymour Avenue. So Gina's aunt was like right down the street, like right there. So Ariel, when he pulls up, says, I'm going to go grab my money. I'll be right back. And in just a minute, he comes right back. So when he comes back, he says, I have a speaker in the house that I want to put in the car. Would you be able to help me? So Gina agrees and they go inside to grab the speaker. When they go in, there's a small room, like a breezeway, as some would call it, or a mud room. And then it goes directly into this kitchen. She remembers that the kitchen was disgusting and we've heard this before. But there's cobwebs, grease stains on the ceiling, like completely disgusting room with dishes everywhere, stuff like that. So we says, sit there for a minute and points to the kitchen table and then says, take off your coat and get comfortable for a minute. Which she's a young girl, so how would she know that this is something that's weird? I don't know. You can't really blame her. So he goes to the bathroom and starts like, manicuring his eyebrows like taking care of himself very strange she said and she's just getting weirded out and says loudly take me home now my mom is waiting for me he walks right up to her tries to touch her breasts she starts to freak out what are you doing don't i want to get out of here this is crazy then he says okay but you can't go out the same way you came in so she says as she walked to the door, she realized immediately that it was a mistake because he was bringing her down into the basement. The next thing she realizes is that she's on the floor with her back to the like concrete and he's on top of her. She keeps screaming, get away from me, get away from me. He puts a pillow over her head and yells, shut up. So she just keeps kicking him and kicking him and he grabs a pipe and like threatens her with it and is like, if you don't stop, I'm going to hurt you with this. And she did, she doesn't care. She keeps kicking. She's nope. I need to figure out a way to get out. I need to get away. And eventually he's like, are you done? If you keep kicking, I'm going to chain you. And she was bewildered by this. She didn't really understand. And then she is maybe if I pretend not to resist, he'll let me go. So she stops kicking and says, go ahead, chain me. So while he's going to go get the chain, she jumps up and starts heading for the door. He catches her literally as she's putting her foot on the first step, unfortunately. He screams at her, you should not have done that. I'm sorry, this little girl is trying to get away from you and she's doing exactly what she should be doing, is trying to get away from you, you sicko. <laughs> <laughs> so he does the same thing he did to everyone else. He chains her to the pole. After he's done chaining her, he puts plastic rope around her wrists. And he says, 
if you move, that will cut you. And then grabs a filthy, dirty rag and shoves it in her mouth. And while he's doing that, it the impact, like he did it so hard that her teeth cut her lips and she was bleeding. At this point, she was just crying and she couldn't scream because she had tape over her mouth. While she's there, he pulls down his pants and touches himself in front of her. She tried to look away, but she couldn't because of the neck restraints. And it was just, she couldn't do much. She remembers praying, like, please don't rape me, please don't rape me. He doesn't just yet. She remembers that she kept trying to find a way to escape, but she couldn't. She couldn't think of anything. I keep having to pause mid, like, section, because this just keeps shutting down for some reason while I'm talking. So I apologize if there's any longer cuts or something. I need to figure out how I'm going to do this going forward because this is not working for me. But, okay, at this point, Gina's head was pounding. She was just like, her brain was just so fuzzy that she couldn't even think of a way to escape. She remembers thinking, he's going to kill me. Oh my gosh, he's going to kill me and doesn't know what to do. She's just so trapped. She remembers how terrified she was because there was just like crap everywhere in the basement and like empty bottles, trash. She sees a bunch of boxes full of porno. She remembers thinking, has he brought other people down to this place before, like other girls? He comes back and brings a radio and starts blasting it, usual Ariel Castro. Like he doesn't say anything, just turns it on and then goes, leaves again. She remembers her mouth aching a lot from the rag and her lips are bleeding still. She couldn't move her tongue because of the, the rag in her mouth. She just remembers being like, I didn't even know I could cry this much. It was, she was just so terrified. It was dark. It was freezing down there. She didn't know what else to do. So Ariel rips the duct tape off her and it hurts so bad that she screams. And he says, if you scream anymore, I'm going to put that back on your mouth and then throws it down on the floor right in front of her. So it's right in front of her and she can she'll be reminded. She knows at this point no one's going to hear her and she remembers thinking what's wrong with the neighbors around here? Like why don't they hear something? So she doesn't know what he wants with her and he starts taking off the chains and says don't scream nobody will hear you. He grabs her breasts and then just stops and leaves. It's dark except for the TV. She said with the radio blasting and the TV blasting, it's like two people screaming at her, two completely different things. And she couldn't just couldn't connect with either of the things. She, much like the other girls, her skull was pounding from all the noise. <laughs> and she remembers having to pee, but she couldn't. And asking herself, why is Arlene's dad doing this to me like why is he doing this to me so she was alone for a couple hours and then starts hearing boots and he comes down and brings her some food it's more food that his mom made for him he shares it with her she didn't want it so she was like i only want my mom's food i want to go home and that was that apparently and this is a side note apparently her mom was like a really great cook like everyone around the holidays wanted to go to their house because her mom was such a good cook and her food was amazing he was like okay i don't care if you starve and just goes back upstairs 
Again, he comes back a little bit later with McDonald's burger in surprise, and she eats them because she's so hungry at this point. When he unlocks her, when he unlocks her the next time, it's hard for her to stand up because she's been standing for so long. Her legs are wobbly. So Gina was down in the basement for a few days, and it was cold. She's freezing. She was miserable. At this point, Ariel hadn't touched her as far as defiling her. So she spent a few days down in the basement, and then he eventually bought her a twin mattress and a pink blanket to make her a little more comfortable, which <laughs> how can she be comfortable? So after another few days, he started to bring her upstairs. He set up this like weird covered bed in his dining room, like something that like a child would make. It looked like a fort, like a blanket fort. He still doesn't rape Gina at this point. And meanwhile, the girls upstairs, Michelle and Amanda, see newscastings about a missing girl named Gina. And they're like, oh no, another girl. It has to be. It has to be. At this point, they haven't all seen each other. Amanda and Michelle have seen each other, but Gina hasn't seen either of these other girls. One night while Gina is laying with Ariel and he's talking to her and he liked to talk to his victims a lot. Like he confided in them, like his deepest, darkest secrets. They acted as if they were his girlfriends, which for some reason happens a lot with captives. I don't know why, but apparently these psychos think that this is okay. And like these people care about your fucking problems. You're a rapist and a kidnapper. Anyway, one night Gina is talking to him and he is talking about whatever. And she decides to ask because she had seen him a few times driving by her while she was at school and weaving in his bus. That was her friend's dad. So it makes sense, right? He went on to tell her that he had actually been waving because he found her attractive and she was being followed by him essentially prior to all of this. He said to her when she asked him if she, he was following her, he was like, yeah, I liked your V-neck because I could see your cleavage. And mind you, this is a 14 year old girl, a little baby. Ariel Castro is a sicko and we all know that by now. If you haven't listened, go back and listen to all the other crap that this guy does. Gina lives in this, like the basement and his like dining room fort for a month. All this time, he's still abusing Michelle and Amanda. One conversation between him and Amanda, she was talking about during this month, Amanda kept asking him, did you kidnap that girl? Gina and he just told her no. Eventually she asked him and was like, okay, so did you kidnap this girl? And you promised you found another girl that you were going to let me go. Or was that another lie? And it pissed him off. And he was like, mind your own business. And that's when Amanda knew that there was another girl there. And poor little Gina had been kidnapped. Ariel Castro was always having conversations with Amanda. Amanda, he took a liking to. 
the point where he felt like she was his girlfriend. And he felt like that with all of them, but specifically Amanda was treated a little bit better than Michelle. Michelle, on the other hand, was constantly beaten. She was raped multiple times a day, all the time. And at this point, it's still just 2004. Sometime in mid-April, Amanda goes downstairs for a once-a-week shower. And to be clear, he didn't let these girls bathe, except on a specific schedule. They weren't allowed to see each other as much, but he let her come down to shower, and she saw this fort. And this was the first time she saw that. And she was like, Gina's probably in there. And she was. So in April 2004, something weird happened. There was a call made to Angie, El Castro's daughter, and her husband. And there's a voicemail left. And the voicemail sounded like a butt dial, but Angie heard, get away from me, on that voicemail. So she called the police. And you would think that this would lead to something, but it didn't. Apparently the phone was stolen and it didn't lead anywhere. Unfortunately, nothing came with that. So in May of 2004, Ariel and Gina are sitting on the couch because he makes them hang out with him and talk to him. Like I said, like they're in a relationship or something. And he had at this point been constantly asking Gina if she's a virgin. And she was like, yeah, I'm 14. Of course I'm a virgin. Why wouldn't I be? Oh, so gross. So gross. Not great. Then Ariel proceeds to go when we have sex. I'm going to get like a hundred points because you're a virgin. Which we already know this guy's absolutely horrible, but so freaking gross, dude. Such a pig. I just don't understand the mental state of this man. Gina obviously was terrified. She was super scared and run away. She couldn't, she was chained. She couldn't do anything. He would constantly say, if I had known you were Felix's daughter, I wouldn't have taken you. But in reality, he must have known, right? He had seen Felix with his daughter before and he had been following her on her way to school. So it doesn't really make sense, but... So, in May, he raped Gina for the first time. And I'm not going to go into the details, but for Gina, it was horrible. She already assumed that this was going to happen prior to him even saying that during May. But when he actually did it, she was broken. She's a little a baby. Sorry, guys, this is a lot. So, and after he's done, he's like, we got to celebrate. That part, when I read this in Gina's book, left me speechless. It's like, you want to celebrate taking a young girl's innocence and not giving her a choice. <laughs> this man is just a complete monster. He grabbed some wine and has her take a taste. She's never had wine before at this point, And she said it's awful and gross and she didn't really care for it. Once he started abusing Gina, he didn't stop. It was about three to four times a day. Like I talked about before, Ariel Castro really liked for his victims to watch the things about themselves on TV. And he liked to watch it with them so he could feel some like weird, sick sense of pride. And he did this with Gina. There was one time where Gina was on America's Most Wanted. They're trying to find the person who kidnapped her. And, and he 
had her watch it with him. And he had her and Amanda watch it with him together. And at this point, this was one of the first times they met. And Amanda and Miss Gina paid each other compliments, like, I like your nails, things like that. Gina wanted to ask at this first time meeting Amanda how Amanda could stand it because she found out that she'd been missing for a year at this point. And she couldn't because Ariel was right there, but it's crazy. Same stuff goes on for all three of the victims constantly for a long time. And there's years and years, and we can't cover all the details of all those years, but there's a few things I wanted to touch on. Ariel Castro was incredibly screwed up. One time, he was like, oh, let's play a game with Michelle and Gina. And they had met at this point. Gina and Michelle actually ended up staying in the same room not too long after she first met Amanda. And Michelle and Gina became quite close because they could confide in each other and lean on each other a little bit. Michelle, on her end, wanted to protect Gina too. She wanted to make sure that she was picked instead of Gina. All these girls are very strong girls and they all have triumph something that is so unbelievably hard to even fathom for most of us. But one time he's like, let's play a game to Michelle and Gina. And he pulls out a revolver. They knew he had a gun because he talked about it. He was like, yeah, if you try and escape, I'll shoot you. But he puts one bullet in the revolver in front of the girls and closes it. So with this revolver, he wants them to pull the trigger against their head classic game you'd see in an old western movie or something but moving forward in about august of that same year one night gina in august was like i want to kill myself to ariel and he was like okay i'll help you and gina said that he said it in such a way like he actually didn't care if she killed herself he goes and gets a rope and ties it into a noose and hands it to her and she puts it on but then takes it off after a bit and he's like oh okay i'll put this in the closet for you just in case you change your mind. And he told her, Ariel also told her that he would bury her in the backyard. No one would ever know. It's absolutely f***ed up. So Michelle and Gina started talking. So not long after Michelle and Gina moved into the same room, they started talking and Michelle divulged her story to Gina, telling her that she was tricked just like everybody else. And... She was tricked by, you know, him saying he had puppies and she wanted to get one for her son. And she talked to her son and Gina and Michelle bond. All while this is happening, Gina reaches her one year mark of being missing. And her parents start holding vigils every Friday from this point on. Her parents don't give up. They literally do whatever they can to try and find their daughter. Fast track to March 2nd, 2006. Amanda sees a news casting that her mom passed away. She's obviously heartbroken, very sad. And her mom passed away without knowing what happened to Amanda, unfortunately. But her mom never gave up, and her sister still continues to search for her after her passing. Unfortunately, because of the financial situation of Amanda Bear's family, they weren't able to get a big headstone. It was just, they didn't have the money. Fast track again to April 22nd, Amanda turns 20. She had been there for three years at this point. Amanda starts to think she's pregnant and she's terrified because Michelle had previously been pregnant and Ariel beat, 
beat her to the point where she lost the baby. So for the first trimester, she was really sick and she was just saying that she was sick to Ariel because she didn't want him to know. She didn't want him to know because she didn't want him to get mad and do something horrible to her. But she was in her first trimester. She weighed 95 pounds. Amanda originally weighed 125 when she got to Ariel's house. During this time, Ariel was starting to get suspicions from his family. They were like, why can't we go upstairs? Why can't we do this or that? when we come to visit. And he just said, oh, it's messy up there, blah, blah, blah. But then he got it so much that he was like, oh crap, I need to let them go upstairs so they think nothing's going on. So Ariel puts all of his victims in his van. This is the first time the girls got to like all be together 100% and be together in a way where they can talk freely. So the girls are in the van and so it's around this time that Amanda tells Ariel that she's pregnant. When he finds out, he says, okay, maybe we could just bring it to a church after you have it. And Amanda's like, I want to keep the baby though. It's at this point that the girls start to have a little bit of fighting in between them. And this is because of Ariel. He tricks them into either telling secrets that the other girls say or do or also because he gave Amanda such special treatment, not just because she was pregnant, but because he always gives her special treatment. It's also around this time that Amanda starts to have feelings for Ariel and not in the sense that you would think like, it's not like full blown passionate love. It's, I think it is a little bit of Stockholm syndrome, but also loneliness like the loneliness of being there she only gets to really talk to him openly and she feels like he's the only person there obviously being pregnant with someone's baby even if it's someone as horrible as ariel castro so the other girls are pissed at this point and amanda is also pissed because the girls start trying to annoy her you have to think they're all in a small house and there's not much to do so drama will ensue but the other two girls try to annoy Amanda and Amanda just plain old doesn't talk to them, doesn't like them, doesn't give them the time of day. Sometime during this same year, the police get an anonymous tip saying that a man named Matthew Hurate kidnapped Gina and killed her and buried her under his garage, which he had, had newly paved. Ariel wakes Gina out of dead sleep and brings her downstairs to watch this on TV because there's news. He's like, they're not going to find you. And Gina's like, no way. <laughs> of course they're not going to. <laughs> like, I'm right here. This man's an idiot. But this place was literally just a few blocks down the street. Like, right there. It was literally right there. And there was nothing that could be done, unfortunately. During this time, too, Gina was constantly on the TV because her parents were not giving up trying to find her. Like, they were going on the news. They were joining coalitions that helped find kids. Like they were doing whatever they could. They were posting flyers everywhere. They were nonstop trying to find Gina. During this time, Amanda was still pregnant as well. And Amanda was having a horrible time. Typically a pregnant woman goes to the doctor and gets to do all these things. Amanda couldn't do any of that. And she was constantly sick. She was asking him to bring her to a doctor. And he was like, no, you, you'll figure it out. He brought her like a medical book and 
that was the extent of his help. You also have to think too that all these girls were eating like crap. They were eating like McDonald's sometimes, sometimes only eating once a day, eating like crap. And that's obviously not healthy. Eventually he says, I think you're gonna have this baby on Christmas. And this is the same year, 2006. And sure enough, he was right. On Christmas day, Amanda starts having really bad pains and goes in the bathroom after asking Ariel to bring her. She's still chained at this point, but asking Ariel to bring her to the bathroom and she has her water break. Ariel proceeds to bring her upstairs and goes and grabs Michelle. He doesn't want to make a mess, so he goes down to the basement and grabs a kiddie pool. He puts Amanda in that kiddie pool and Michelle comes in because she had already had a baby, so she knows what's going on. And much better help than Ariel is, of course. Michelle helps Amanda deliver this baby. Michelle was really helpful too during this time. Remember, they were fighting like Amanda and Michelle and Gina didn't all get along. Michelle and Gina did, but Amanda, because of the special treatment, was tr treated differently by the girls too. Michelle walks Amanda through how to breathe and walks her through the whole process of having a baby. When Amanda finally gives birth, after a few hours, she passes out and Gina in the other room hears the conversations going on and she hears the baby's not breathing. And she, she was so terrified because despite being trapped and knowing that this baby is Ariel's, the prospect of having a baby in the house just brought a different light there. Something that kind of gave them hope. So Amanda delivered a little baby girl on December 25th, 2006. And she did this all without drugs, like nothing to help her. Amanda wants to name the baby Priscilla, but Ariel hates the name. And she, she didn't know why, but she cared what he thought of the name. So they ended up naming the baby Jocelyn. So this baby brings like a different type of treatment to Amanda as well. Amanda wasn't treated amazingly, but she was given better treatment than the other girls. But now even more so, like, he didn't rape her at all. He didn't touch her. But he did still touch the other girls. And Amanda, because of this weird kind of care for Ariel, she got mad and jealous when he would go touch the other girls. It was a very weird dynamic. The other two girls didn't really give a shit. Like, this whole time, too, Amanda, yes, cared about him, but... She still probably would have killed him if she was given the chance, but she was never given the chance and she was a lot smaller than him. Fast forward a year, Gina starts to take up sewing because she asks if she can fix a hole in her clothes. Their clothes were all secondhand. And from this point on, Gina becomes the person that fixes all the sewing, like clothes for the other girls. She hems stuff. She just takes it up as a hobby. And she said she really liked it because it gives her something to do, right? I, I can't blame her. So you have to think being a parent while also being chained up is difficult, especially with a baby. And as Jocelyn grew, she started to crawl. And Amanda was so worried because she was on a chain. So if Jocelyn crawled too far away, she wouldn't be able to get her. So as time goes on, the baby starts to grow and starts to talk. And Ariel doesn't want Jocelyn to know the names of all the girls. So he makes them make up names. So Gina ends up calling herself Chelsea. Michelle calls herself Juju. And he 
starts calling Amanda Nandy, which was the nickname that she had when she was a kid. So throughout this time, Ariel would by chance run into some of the parents and families of the victims. Like one day he ran into Beth, Amanda's sister, and every time he would do this, he would report back to the girls to make them feel like crap. I think maybe in his brain, he thought he was doing something nice, but for him, it was like a sick thrill. Oh, I'm talking to these people, but really I have their daughters or family members trapped in my house. For him, it was just some sick thing. So as time goes on and it's years at this point, Jocelyn starts to ask questions like, oh, what's this thing on your ankle, mommy? Because they're all chained up and Ariel did not want Jocelyn to know anything about them being captives. She told Jocelyn, this is just my bracelet. It's really screwed up if you think about it. It's like this poor little kid is growing up in this home and everyone's trying to give her like this normal-ish life, which obviously they can't, but they try their best to give her a normal life. Eventually, Ariel stops chaining the girls because of Jocelyn, really, but also because he starts taking Jocelyn out to activities. He doesn't want Jocelyn to think about those things or talk about those things, which is another reason he asked them to make up names because when he takes her out, he wants her not to potentially divulge that he has Gina or Amanda or Michelle trapped in his house. So fast forward even more to October of 2009, there was an Oprah special that featured Amanda, Gina, and another girl named Ashley Summers. Beth went on that show and Amanda got to see her sister. And obviously for Amanda, this was hard. Ariel, of course, liked to watch these girls suffer while watching their families plead for these girls to come back. At this point, it's been seven years. She'd had a baby and her family has no clue about it. Gina's mom was also on the special and Gina's mom was like, it kills us not knowing and we will never give up. Neither Amanda or Gina's family gave up. For Michelle, her family unfortunately didn't put in as much effort and I feel really bad for her because she never really saw herself on camera because they probably assumed that she was a runaway and that was that. But there wasn't a lot for Michelle on TV, which is unfortunate. So in 2010, Gina starts to get really depressed to the point where she doesn't leave bed and doesn't want to do anything. For her at this point, the only joy that she gets is being able to sew and to spend time with Jocelyn, the baby, or at this point, a toddler. It gets to the point where she doesn't even want to do those things. She starts hurting herself. She starts with using butter knives and using knives from McDonald's bags, like the plastic ones and hurting herself. It's horrible. Eventually she divulges to Amanda that she's been hurting herself and Amanda recommends using a rubber band and snapping it on her wrist so that she's not physically harming herself. And at least that way. Okie dokie. It distracts her. So eventually, so throughout this whole time, tensions were high in the house. Of course, when you keep people trapped in one place for too long, 
In 2010, Gina also has an incident with Ariel that I wouldn't classify as good, but it just shows how over everything she was. So she was cooking some ham that Ariel had brought home. There was two bags and she had already cooked one of them. Ariel comes in and he's like, where's the first bag? And just to clarify, none of this food was typically good. Like this ham was past date. It smelled a little funky, but they were starving and she figured if she cooks it, it'll be fine. So she cooks the first bag. He comes in and is like, where's this first bag, dude? <laughs> where's this first bag? And he then proceeds to call her dumbass. So for all these girls, they were constantly being verbally abused. Like any name in the book, he would call them. In Gina's situation, she was always called or other derogatory terms, making her feel stupid, which is part of what was contributing to her wanting to hurt herself. But in this case, she was done. She just was so over being called that she turned around. It was like, I already cooked it. And then he proceeded to slap her. Gina then slapped him back. And for her, this was like a moment where she was like, it felt so good. She said she wanted to do more to him, hurt him more, but it felt so good for her to be able to do that. I don't blame her. I can't imagine the like hate that they felt towards Ariel. It must have been unsurmountable. Like it must have been so intense to have to be nice to someone that you hate so much. So in turn, all these girls had a role to play in the house. Gina was the person who had to clean and sew things and sometimes cook. Michelle was like the buddy, like she would have times where she would drink a lot with him and he didn't really do that with the other girls. And for Amanda, she was the, she was obviously the mom and the girlfriend kind of thing. They're all girlfriends, but they all had their own like role. And obviously there was tensions in a high tension situation. You're going to have a lot of drama and just small things are bigger issues than they really need to be. But at one point later on, some of these tensions started to fall and the girls started to realize this is what he wants. Like he wants us to be against each other. Like he, we can't give him what he wants. And after that point, after they all realize that, they become a little bit better. I think there's obviously still tensions and there's also obviously still drama, but it's going to happen, especially in a situation like this. So in 2010, there was a weird situation where Ariel ran into Gina's mom and Gina's mom was passing out flyers and he went up and asked for one and brought it home in his jean pocket. He told Gina about this and Gina was like, oh, that's something my mom touched. I want it. Can I have it? So she went and grabbed it out of his jean pockets, which it's sad to think that just knowing that your mom held that piece of paper made all the difference. It was like, it felt like she was right there with her. Gina started crying when she got this paper and she just was like, I can't believe this was in my mom's hands. At this point, it's been years since she's seen her mom or any of her family. And like for me, I can't even imagine not being able to see my family for that long. It's just crazy to me. These girls are unbelievable survivors and I'm, I like doing survival stories if you can't tell. Like I love survival stories. I like stories where the victims come out on top at the end. And yes, they go through a, a shitty ordeal, but 
in this situation, these victims go on and do some awesome stuff, which I'll talk about in a moment. So there's one incident where Ariel asked Amanda to cut his hair. And Amanda did. She accidentally left like a small bald patch, like a tiny spot. And he was pissed. And he was like, you did that on purpose. And sent her back to her room. And he was so angry about it. She was like, I know he's going to do something later. So later that night, he came back and in front of Jocelyn, which for him, Jocelyn was everything. Their daughter was everything to him. Like he loved her more than anyone in that house. He treated her so well compared to everybody else. And he tried not to do things that would scare her or make her feel like her life was different than other kids. He really, for some reason, loved his daughter and didn't care about anything else. But he loved this daughter and treated her as such. And her nickname was Pretty by him. But this night, this night when Amanda had ruined his hair, he came back in front of Jocelyn and was like, now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. <laughs> what if I say it like that? <laughs> now it's your turn. And he proceeds to shave a bald spot in the front of her hair. Amanda was obviously very upset and she just let it destroy her. A few weeks later, when it was time for him to do another haircut, he went to use his trimmer and it wasn't working exactly correct. So he yells at Gina while she was cleaning. What did you do to my trimmer? Being really pissed off. <laughs> and she literally hadn't done anything. It was because he like shaved another bald spot on himself. <laughs> at this point, why not go to the barber, Ariel? Instead of making your captives cut your hair. Anyway, he blamed her and then decided he's going to cut her hair too. Like he did with Amanda. So he took her and shaved her head. Or, yeah, and shaved her head. Gina seems like she was, like, she was it. Like, she did not give any f She didn't care what he did. She was like, I'm not going to let it affect me. She didn't care. Jocelyn and Amanda were out in the living room watching TV. And she was like, hey, everybody, you like my new haircut? And smiling and happy. And it pissed Ariel off. She, like, she was good. I liked how she was just so petty. And I don't blame her. I'd be petty too. But it, it, I just found it funny how petty she was. So fast forward a little bit more. Obviously, all the same things are happening. The mental abuse, the trying to turn the girls against each other, the physical abuse, of course. But in 2012, it starts to die down as far as the physical abuse. Like he's still mentally abusing them, of course, but he doesn't touch Gina or Amanda as much in is still constantly abusing Michelle, though. At one point, it had been almost eight months since he abused Amanda or Gina. It was literally just abusing Michelle, which is really sad. Michelle got the end of the stick. She was the one who was, like, beat the hardest and hurt the hardest. Like, he, he really went in on her. Over the previous two years or so, Ariel had started to talk a little bit more about this is going to end soon, like... He's going to get caught, essentially, is what he was saying. And he constantly just kept talking about how, well, when this all ends, and, like, he was putting it out in the world that he knows this isn't going to last forever. 
So he also talked about how he wanted it to end. He was like, I wanted to end in a shootout with the police. He had a gun, of course, and he really was like, I'm going to go fighting. He doesn't he doesn't want to go to a prison. That's the last thing he wants. He would say this to all the girls, but he said if he went to prison, he would kill himself. So obviously everything was coming to a head at this point. And Ariel knew that this was going to end at some point. And I think he wanted it to end too. He, I think he was over it. So Jocelyn was given a little bit more free reign around the house, obviously. She was still locked in with her mom when Ariel left the house. And remember, everything was padlocked. Everything had alarms on it. Like, there was all this stuff. So one day, May 6, 2013, this is 11 years after Michelle was kidnapped, Amanda's daughter, Jocelyn, comes running into the room. And the room was unlocked, which is how she went downstairs. But she said, Daddy's gone. Daddy's gone. And she couldn't find her dad, and she was confused. Amanda at first was like, okay, go look around for him. And he's probably out there somewhere. But then Jocelyn says his blue van's gone. He's gone. Amanda was like, but the bedroom door's unlocked, which he typically always locks it when he leaves. So it was very strange. All at the same time. So at this point, Amanda is like, okay, Jocelyn, stay here. Amanda tiptoes out the hall and was like listening for signs of him. She was terrified. She was shaking. She thought that maybe this was a test because Ariel liked to test their loyalties all the time. So she thought this was a test, but it still kept going. She went to knock on the door of Michelle and Gina. Then she was like, never mind, because she didn't want to get them hurt too if she was caught by Ariel. So she proceeded downstairs, looked around, didn't see Ariel anywhere. The front door to 2207 Seymour Avenue was always locked, and it had an alarm on it. Amanda went over to this door, and it was locked, but she turned it, and typically an alarm would have gone off. In this case, it didn't. There was no alarm set. In the 10 years that she was there, that front door was never open more than a crack. This is the first time she's been able to open it. It swings open, and she notices that there's a screen door there. And upon looking outside at the screen door, there's a padlock around it. Before anything else happens, she yells to Jocelyn to ask her to come downstairs. So Jocelyn sees how desperate Amanda is and starts to cry because obviously she's trying to get out and she doesn't understand entirely. Jocelyn's asking for daddy and stuff like that. And her mom's just like, you have to be quiet. You have to be quiet. Amanda notices someone walking past the home and shoves her hand through the, I don't know why I was about to camera, <laughs> shoves her hand through the storm door and starts waving hysterically. A couple notices and Amanda starts screaming, help me, help me, please. I need to get out of here. At this point, she thinks she's going to be found by Ariel. And if she doesn't get out soon, then she's screwed. While this was all happening, the girls upstairs thought that Amanda had been caught by Ariel and was being punished because of the way Amanda was screaming for help. Uh, the man from the couple comes up and is like, can you help me, please? He looked confused and scared, and of course he did, because this girl's like hysterical at this front door and there's a padlock on it. What else are you going to think? Who knows? But then Amanda starts saying, I'm Amanda Berry. I've been kidnapped. I've been gone for 10 years. I need your help. The lady that was on the sidewalk which is presumably this man's girlfriend or wife or friend, who knows. But 
she's like, no, Amanda Berry's dead. Like, that's not Amanda Berry. Get out of there. This woman starts motioning for this guy to step away from Amanda. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy. My, my dogs want to say hi to everybody. So for those who are tuning in for the first time, this is my dog, Jack. He is my tripod husky. I have another husky too. His name is Balto. I love them so much. They are literally my best friends on the planet. So after this, Amanda has another guy walk by and she's screaming. She's like, I'm Amanda Berry. Please come help me. So this black man comes up to the door and says, this thing's locked. And he notices the padlock. And she's like, I'm Amanda Berry. Please let me out. So this gentleman starts kicking the bottom of the storm door. Then he's like, Amanda, can you kick the rest of it out? And was he was actually trying to help her. So Amanda starts kicking and eventually gives. And he's like, go on, mama. So at this point, Amanda crawls out with Jocelyn and it's like, I need a phone. Like she knows that she's out, but she's not exactly safe yet. So he says, I have one. I live right next door and him and Amanda go next door. So Amanda doesn't go inside this man's house. She's like, I just left a scary house. I'm not about to go to another one just in case. And she starts noticing that people are starting to gather around the house where they she just left. And Amanda decides to run across the street to where people are starting to gather to see what was going on and asks if she can use a phone. A woman who was there was like, yeah, you can use mine and hands her a cell phone. So all while doing this, Amanda is looking up and down the street for Ariel's blue van because she's terrified. <laughs> so finally an operator picks up and Amanda says, hello, please. I'm Amanda Berry. Amanda is obviously frantic at this point because she's trying to get someone there to help her just in case Ariel comes back. And so the operator tries to calm Amanda down and is, okay, what's going on? And Amanda's like, I've been kidnapped for 10 years and I'm free now. Amanda gives them the address and she's like, please send people now. And the operator's like, okay, we're trying to get a car there. And Amanda's like, I need them now before he gets back. Because if he comes back, it's all over. Either he's going to hurt her or whatnot. So the operator has Amanda describe Ariel over the phone. And in three minutes after that conversation ends, the police arrive. The police ask if there's any other people in the house. And Amanda's like, yes, there's two other girls in there. The police look shocked to Amanda. Like she says later on that the police looked shocked. And the police then dart into the house. All while this is happening, Gina and Michelle are in that room. And they hear sirens, but they're like, oh, it's Cleveland. We always hear sirens. After a few minutes, they start hearing steps come up the stairs. And both of them are thinking, oh, no, Ariel's home and he's mad. So they go and barricade the door with their bodies. Like they both push against the door because they're terrified that Ariel has come home and he's going to hurt them. Then they hear someone in the hallway scream, Cleveland, please. And then all of a sudden, Michelle swings open the door and runs through the white room and jumps into the arms of a male police officer and screams, you saved me, you saved me. Gina held back because she was like, they're probably fake cops, like Ariel's so manipulative. <laughs> and she just stays back and the, one of the police officers, a female, comes up to her and is like, What's your name? And she's like, I'm Gina. And after she says that she's Gina, the police officer literally looks like she had seen a ghost. She was bewildered. Like all these police officers were just like 
astounded on the scene that they found there on this day. So they have Michelle and Gina explain what the man looks like and their situations. Michelle was so overcome by emotion that she actually had to be ambulanced to the hospital. Amanda, Gina, and Jocelyn just rode in a police car to the hospital. They were all checked out, and all while this is happening, their families were notified. And I'm going to be honest with you, I bawled my eyes out at this part in both the books. And the books are in the description. I highly recommend checking them out. They're unbelievable books, and the counts in there are horrifying. And sorry, I just got a little emotional. They're horrifying and horrible, but I think them telling their story and being able to get that out there so that other people know exactly what happened, I think it's so important, but they were free. So while the girls got to the hospital, the police were like, okay, we got to find Ariel Castro. They pulled up his license plate and make and model of his vehicle and put out an announcement to all the police of Cleveland that they have to find this guy. So eventually the police stumble upon him and they arrest both him and his brother, who was also in the car at the time. And they are kind of dumbfounded by how chill Ariel is. Like he knew this was coming, which he did because he's been talking about it for years at this point, right? So they knew it was coming. And lo and behold, he felt Ariel was brought into questioning about everything that's happened. Ariel went on to say that he was a victim too, and that the girls came with him willingly. And he would say this constantly after this point as well. But he also talked about how he was a victim of molestation, which was probably true. But he used it as an excuse for what he did later on. I don't care who you are, does not excuse horrible things. There's a lot of victims out there of situations that take what's happened to them and turn it into something that makes them stronger and something that helps them help other people. And in this case, obviously he didn't do that. You have the power of choice on what you do after you are a victim of something. And I think it's so important that anyone who is a victim if they can, if they have the capacity to help others, that's what you should do. But victims of things shouldn't go out and do the same stuff to other people. This is more than 10 years of girls being raped, tortured, mentally abused, pretty much destroyed. A whole portion of their life was taken that they can never get back. But yeah, Ariel never asked any questions of why he was being held. <laughs> he just knew it was happening, so... At the hospital, Amanda was reunited with Beth, and Gina was reunited with her family as well. It was tears, and it was just unbelievable to everyone that these girls were still alive, for one, and that they had finally made it home. So when Jocelyn, fi so when Jocelyn finally got to meet Beth, her aunt, and Beth's children, Jocelyn already knew who Beth was and all of her kids. So she already felt like she knew them from all the TV things that she saw with Beth and them. So Beth and Amanda talk for hours and Beth tells Amanda, hey, just so you know, I wasn't able to get a huge gravestone for mom because I just didn't have the money at the time. Amanda's first thought was, I'm going to change that. That night, all the girls slept in a way that they finally felt comfortable. And for Amanda, she said that was the first night 
that she slept and was excited to wake up in the morning in 10 years. Ariola was arrested and the police searched his house. The police found 90 feet of chains. They seized padlocks, deadbolts, and clock radios, wires that were rigged up to doors for alarm systems. In the kitchen, they discovered a handwritten note from 2004, which was after he had kidnapped the last victim. So this note was an all-around note. It was a suicide note. It was a confession. It was like fatherly advice. So I don't know why Ariel Castro was giving anyone any sort of fatherly advice or advice in general, but Ariel Castro was caught. Ariel Castro was charged with four counts of kidnapping because they included his daughter and three charges for rape. Ariel appeared at the Cleveland Ariel appeared at the Cleveland Municipal Court on May 9th, where bail was set to $2 million per kidnap victim. So a total of $8 million. Prosecutors wanted to get the death penalty for Ariel, but they failed on that. So additional charges were reported to be pending, which included, and I'll list them off, aggravated murder, attempted murder, assault, a charge for each instance of rape, and a kidnapping charge for each day each captive was held. On May 14th of that same year, Castro's attorneys let us know that he was going to plead not guilty. I don't know what you're thinking, but <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. So a grand jury returned with an indictment on June 7th of that year. It contained a total of 329 counts, two counts of aggravated murder for his role in the termination of the pregnancies. The indictments covered only the period of time between August 2002 to February 2007. And that was because the jury was still investigating. So as they found out more information and gathered more information, the findings would be presented to the grand jury. The prosecutor wanted to give Ariel the death penalty. So after they entered the not guilty plea, his lawyer said that, Yes, some of the things are indisputable, but, and I'm going to quote, it is our hope that we can continue to work towards a resolution to avoid having an unnecessary trial about aggravated murder and the death penalty. He also said, we are very sensitive to the emotional strain and impact that a trial would have on the woman. I don't think that was for the woman, just to throw out there. Their families and this community. Ariel Castro was found competent to stand trial on July 3rd. So on July 12th, the grand jury came back with indictment for the rest of the period that the girls were there. So after 2007, it brought the total to 977 counts, 512 counts of kidnapping, 446 counts of rape, seven of gross sexual imposition, three for child endangerment, and two of aggravated murder, one of possession of criminal tools. On July 17th, Ariel Castro pleaded not guilty to these charges, and he now face the death penalty so he obviously decided that probably wasn't the best idea so on july 26 he came back and he was like i'm guilty but only for 937 of the charges of the 977 which obviously isn't correct but so the charges he pled guilty to were the charges of kidnapping rape and aggravated murder which these call for consecutive life sentences 
plus a thousand years. And these were all without parole. With this, he also forfeited his right to appeal, and he could not profit in any way from his crimes. He also forfeited his home in the process and all assets that he had. The prosecutors decided that they were just going to demolish this house. At the end of this trial, and I love this, the judge was like, you will not be getting out, you hear? And Ariel was like, yes, I understand that, Your Honor. Then Ariel went to talk about the same stuff he's talked about before, like the stuff that happened to him when he was a child, which I feel bad for the child version of Ariel Castro, not for the adult version. Like, why would you feel bad for this adult? <laughs> he also talked a little bit about his addiction to pornography and the fact that he had a sexual problem, which, yeah, he does. But the judge cut him off because the judge was like, I'm all set with this. I don't want to hear from you anymore. I'm done with all that. So the girls were pretty relieved that he pled guilty, and they were excited for it finally to be over on August 1st of that same year. So on August 1st, Ariel Castro was finally sentenced to consecutive life sentences and a thousand years on top of that. So, so he also had no possibility of parole, so he would never be getting out at that point. So before his sentencing, Ariel decided to address the court for 20 minutes, saying that he was a good man, he was not a monster, and that he just had a sexual problem. Then he claimed that he'd never beaten or tortured the woman. And also said, and this part I freaking hate, he also said that most of the time with the woman, any sex that was had was consensual, which we all know is not the case. And then he shifted to blaming the FBI for not catching him earlier than this. <laughs> then he also proceeded to blame the victims by saying, well, you shouldn't have gotten in a car with a strange man. No, like you, all of them knew you in some way. They trusted you. They assumed that because you were their friend's dad, that they could trust you. you. Psycho. But then after all that, he also stated, I hope that they can find it in their hearts to forgive me and that we had a lot of harmony going on in that home. So during this sentencing, they also heard from the families and the victims themselves. And I wanted to share this quote from what Michelle said at this hearing. And it really just like speaks to your heart. And I'll throw out there again that their books, both books written by the victims were unbelievably good. So Michelle said, you took 11 years of my life away. I spent 11 years in hell. Now your hell is just beginning. I will overcome all that has happened, but you will face hell for eternity. I will live on. You will die a little every day as you think about the atrocities that you did to us. I can forgive you, but I will never forget. Wow. So after this was all set, the victims released a video statement thanking the public for their support. The victims decided that they wanted to kind of keep things private for now, just so that they could kind of readjust do everything that they needed to do, deal with the legal proceedings. The Cleveland Courage Fund set up a donation account for the victims, which collected approximately $1.05 at the time of the video's release. So before Amanda came up missing, her grandfather had promised to give her a car, the Chevrolet Monte Carlo, which was built in the year that she was born. He kept the car after she was kidnapped, so if she came back, that he had it for her. So she got that when she got out. And it did need some work, but a lot of the shops locally 
offered to do it for free for Amanda so that she could have a vehicle, which was super nice. A lot of people did a lot of great things for these victims, which I love to hear that. So Michelle waited a year before she decided to talk to People Magazine and she gave them an interview. And in this interview, she talked about her life prior to abduction and then also the time she spent in captivity. She legally changed her name after this and it doesn't say what, and I'm not going to, even if I found out, I probably wouldn't share that because it's her right to privacy. So Michelle decided to start getting tattoos as well as part of her healing process, which I find awesome. Tattoos are amazing and they're pretty cool. If you see photos, there's a few photos on our Instagram. They look pretty cool. So she also revealed that her son was adopted by his foster parents prior to her getting out of Ariel Castro's home. And she planned later on to see him when he was an adult. She just didn't want to bring him into the ordeal she's had to deal with. And she just thought it would be better to wait. Michelle planned on opening a restaurant and planned on getting married, which she actually did in 2016. So yay. <laughs> so Michelle hopes to adopt children because of the years of abuse that she faced. She is now not able to have kids. So she plans on adopting children. Amanda and Gina received honorary diplomas from John Marshall High School in 2015. Gina says she's currently volunteering at an Amber Alert Committee, which is offering comfort to families of abducted children. Gina remains in touch with Amanda Berry and her family. In February of 2017, Amanda joined the Fox affiliate staff at WJW in Cleveland, where she hosts short reoccurring segments in which she reports missing people in order to help the families reunite with their missing family member. In April 2019, Amanda reunited with the gentleman who helped her at the door, Charles Ramsey, and that interview was broadcast on WJW. On August 7, 2013, the house was destroyed and Michelle was actually there and she was handing out balloons and they all let them go before the first hammer swing of the house being destroyed. It was pretty ceremonial if you think about it. The house is now blurred on Google Maps as well. So there's nothing there. So you guys must be thinking, well, what happened to Ariel? Well, when he got to prison, he didn't like it very much. He complained a lot. Uh, there was journal entries that, you know, the staff treated him horribly. He was disgusted by the food. He was miserable. <laughs> and I, I'm sorry to laugh, but... The thing is, he did this to other people, like, and at least you're getting food. These girls didn't, they got one meal a day, really. But on September 3rd, 2013, Ariel was found hanging from a bed sheet in his cell. After the staff tried to perform CPR, he was brought to the Wexner Medical Center in Columbus, Ohio, where he was pronounced dead shortly after. So the coroner, after the autopsy, pronounced that it was hanging that killed him, and he was later cremated. There's later a report that went over what happened and they had some debate over whether it was a erotic asphyxiation, but it wasn't. And they also found later that the two guards that were supposed to be monitoring Castro every so often had falsified their logs. So they weren't actually monitoring him. Ariel wasn't on suicide watch at the time, but he was subject to routine checks, which I hate. I hate that he ended his own life because that means he didn't serve his sentence, which means he didn't get what he deserved, really. I do think that he took the easy way out and 
now the girls didn't get the justice that they really wanted. Like, they got the verdict in the plea that they wanted, and he would have served out the sentence had he not killed himself. And I think it took... And this is that shitty thing I said in episode one of this, that he took that away from them. He not only took years of their life, but they, he also took away the justice because he couldn't handle what he had done to other people. He was in prison, but he had imprisoned three girls for years, and he couldn't handle it. And that, my friends, is it. I want to throw out there, please make sure to check out the books that these girls have written. The first book is written by Amanda Berry and Gina De Jesus, and it's called Hope, A Memoir of Survival in Cleveland. And the book by Michelle Knight, who actually went on to write more books too, which I highly recommend you check out if you're interested in learning how life has gotten for after all this. Her book is called Finding Me, A Decade of Darkness and a Life Reclaimed. I really strongly recommend you guys check out these books. They are absolutely wonderful. I literally stayed up almost all night one night reading one of these books because I couldn't put it down. It was just so intense and so unbelievable. And I shared as much as I could on this, but there's so much more that happened too that I couldn't share everything. So please check them out. They are unbelievable books. And I want to say thank you to the victims for sharing that information with us. And I know it's hard to have to relive that. So thank you for still putting it out there so that we could all know exactly what happened. I, but yeah, anyway, if you guys are interested, make sure to check out our Patreon. The link is in the description. The links for the books are also in the description. If you have gotten this far, make sure to hit that subscribe button or that follow button on whatever podcast platform you are listening or watching on. I really, really appreciate everyone taking the time. The other episodes of this specific series will be posted as well, just so you guys can go back and watch those as well. Make sure to follow our Facebook. Our Facebook is facebook.com slash the eerie podcast. Instagram is instagram.com slash the eerie podcast. And our Twitter is twitter.com slash the eerie podcast. If you guys have any stories that you want to tell or recommendations, feel free to message us on Facebook, or you can send an email to info at the for those who are listening and maybe want to watch, our YouTube is youtube.com slash at EriePod. So for next week's episode, we will be going over Lake Lanier. And it's a creepy, haunted, man-made lake in Georgia. And it's so, so cool. And it has such a history. It's insane. But we'll go over that next week. Next week's episode will not be posting on Monday. We will now be doing Fridays from here on out, just so I have more time to do the editing during the week so every Friday stay tuned and join us for some creepy crazy true crime and whatever if you have any friends that are interested in either the paranormal folklore cryptids or true crime make sure to share this with them I want to get the word out as much as I can because this podcast isn't about me it's about sharing things with you guys and I really like the input that people give so if you guys have any ideas too and I use them, I will shout you out on this podcast. So send me your ideas. I want to hear them and I want to make them happen within reason, of course. <laughs> all right. I appreciate you all tuning in and I will see you on Friday. Thanks, guys. Freaking Ariel Castro couldn't even handle a little bit of what he did to those girls. <laughs> glad you're doing well, though. I'm glad. <laughs> what spooky stuff do you guys want to talk about next? I kind of want to talk about aliens a little bit.
Is that weird? Is that not on brand? It might be on brand. Yeah. Yep. Aliens are eerie, right? They test on us. They change our lives if we're abducted. Yeah. Aliens are freaky. <laughs> I think they're freaky. So maybe we'll talk about them. I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out. Bye. Bye. <laughs>